Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. As we consider the life of Noah and take a look at the passage here in Hebrews chapter number 11, I want us to draw our attention to Genesis chapter number 6. If you have your Bibles, you can keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 11, turn over to the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter number 6, and I want us to take a look at the the world and the culture that Noah lived in. We know that Noah lived in an incredibly wicked society. He lived in a terrible place, full of great evil. Genesis chapter 6, in verse number 5, it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. There was a lot of wickedness going on in the time of Noah, and God saw it all. Hey, don't ever forget that God sees it all. Don't ever forget that God notices every single deed, that God notices every single word, that God notices every single thing that you do or don't do. God saw it. God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth. But he not only saw the deeds and and the wicked actions of men, he saw their hearts. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was a, a, a terribly wicked day in which Noah lived. The culture was terrible. Society was terrible. The actions of men were terrible And not only were their actions terrible, but the the thoughts of their hearts, every single thought that would come into their heads all day long from morning until night was evil continually. That was the testimony of God regarding the time and the day and age in which he lived. If you go down to verse number 11, it says that the earth also was corrupt before God. It was a very corrupt time. It was a very wicked time. Corruption was rampant. Evil was rampant. And the Bible says that the earth was filled with violence. Noah did not live in a nice time. It was violent. It was corrupt. It was wicked. Certainly, I would not characterize the the place that we live in as being the same as Noah's day, but I think we're, we're getting there. When you see the, the times and, and, and the things that are going on in our country, you could just see that this is the kind of place that we're headed to. Homosexuality has been legalized in our country. And then the White House had the audacity to put the lights up on the White House. It's being celebrated, put up in the, in the bright lights. And it's not just the world and those that are lost, but even, even churches today are getting confused about what God's word has to say about what is right and what is wrong. Not too long ago, the United Methodist Church, they held a vote. They held a vote on something that they, you shouldn't need a vote on. It's not up to us. But their vote was whether they should uphold a ban on same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy. Whether or not a minister in the church 
could be a member of the LGBT and whether or not same-sex marriage should be allowed. Now, at least they voted to uphold the ban. I mean, at least they did that. But what surprised me was the percentage. I, I assumed that it would be an easy majority, but 47% voted to take the ban down. Almost half voted to take it down. You know, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to gender in our country. Just recently, there was a judge that ruled that the draft for men only is unconstitutional. That men and women are the same. Now, we know that men and women are not the same. Amen? We're not the same. I'm glad that my wife is not the same as me. Amen? But people don't seem to understand that. They don't seem to think that. They don't seem to agree with that. In fact, there are men who are calling themselves women and competing athletically against real women. Martina Navratilova, she was a, a very successful tennis player for many, many years. She's been retired for a, a while now. She is openly lesbian. She said, this is what she said. She said, quote, letting men compete as women simply if they change their name and take hormones is unfair. And she's taking a lot of heat for that. In New Haven, Connecticut, two men competing as women won first and second place in the state 55-meter dash. Is it any surprise that two men would win the 55-state meter dash if you're competing only against women? And then they had the audacity to say that the winner set a girls' state indoor record. I'm sorry, but you did not set the girls' indoor state record. You're not a girl. But people don't seem to agree with that. They don't seem to understand that. You know, when it comes to socialism, you know, a lot of the people that are thinking about running for president next year, there's an election next year, a lot of the frontrunners are outright socialists. They're not even hiding. They call themselves socialists. And then people say, well, we're Democrat socialists. You can put whatever adjective in front of it that you want. It's still socialism. You, put, you can put kind of socialism. It's still socialism. It still has the same results. still has the same thing. There's this thing that came out. It's called the Green New Deal. And a lot of people came behind it and said, yeah, it's a really great thing. And, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the things that are in it. I just want to mention one thing. The overview of this thing, the Green New Deal, aims to provide, quote, economic security for all who are unable or unwilling to work. They want to put in a deal that says, if you don't want to work, we'll take care of you. Hold on a second. Since when are able-bodied individuals supposed to say, well, I just don't feel like working, take care of me. Hey, that's not right. That's not good. That's incredibly corrosive to the character of people and to culture as a whole. Abortion has been legalized, of course, for many, many years. In New York, up to birth. And I can see it not too far in the future, not just before birth, but after birth. 
because it's happening around the world. They're talking about things like that. Life itself, we're talking about gene editing. CRISPR, they're talking about messing with life and creation itself. People are talking about some very strange things, that they're going to freeze their eggs and sperm and have children after they are dead. I mean, these are crazy ideas. I mean, drug legalization here in America, marijuana is uh, legalized in many states, and, and teen vaping is on the rise, and, and uh, the U.S. opioid epidemic is, is incredible. I was reading a statistic that U.S. opioid overdose deaths have quadrupled in the last two decades. Drugs now kill more Americans than are killed in car accidents. In 2014, 47,000 people died from drug overdose. In 2011, doctors wrote 219 million painkiller prescriptions. Twelve states have more opioid prescriptions than people. I was reading a study on Generation Z. Generation Z is the one right after millennials. Right? It's basically 1999 or 2000, anybody born after that. Of course, many of them will be young children, but I was reading some uh, statistics about things that current teenagers believe. We have some teenagers here today. These are things that your peers believe. I'm going to read a statement for you, actually two statements. I want you in your mind to stop and consider and think, do I agree with this or do I disagree with this? Or am I neutral? I don't believe either way. Or do you strongly agree or do you strongly disagree? Listen to the statement. Do you agree with this or disagree with this? It is not okay to challenge another person's beliefs. Do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? Is it okay to challenge another person's beliefs? Let me read another statement. If your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, it is probably wrong. Do you agree with that statement or do you disagree? Or do you strongly agree or strongly disagree? Is it okay to challenge another person's beliefs? Teenagers today, 30% believe that, strongly believe, it is not okay to challenge another person's beliefs. 65% of teenagers believe that if your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, it is probably wrong. Do those statements strike you as a little bit strange? They strike me as very strange. That it's not okay to talk to somebody and say, what do you believe? And if they disagree or they believe something else, well, what is the truth? It's about the truth. What is the truth? Do my beliefs align with the truth and do your beliefs align with the truth? I was looking at this uh, poll of what is important to teenagers today? What are your goals? These are the things that they would want to accomplish by the time that they are 30. The top three, these are all two-thirds. Two-thirds of teenagers today 
These are the top three goals that they have in their life. Number one, finish my education. Number two, start a career. Number three, become financially independent. The next four are follow my dreams. By the age of 30, I want to follow my dreams. By the age of 30, enjoy life before you have the responsibilities of being an adult. Number three, or number, I guess this would be number six, find out who you really are. I want to find out who I really am by the time I turn 30. Okay. And travel to other countries. The next two, the next three are this. Get married, become more spiritually, become more mature spiritually, and then become a parent. By the age of 30, teenagers today have those goals. 20% of them have the goal of getting married. 16% have the goal of becoming more mature spiritually by the time they are 30. Not even mature, just more mature spiritually. I don't know about you, but these are not good trends in my eyes. Our country is not going in a good direction, right? Uh, there's a lot of problems going on in our country. A lot of people are thinking the wrong way. I think there's some pressure put on Christians to conform. I think there is pressure on believers to say, I know what the Bible says, but you should just go along with things. That you should do what we do. That you should follow what we follow. That you should live how we live. That you should think how we think. That you should act how we act. But we as Christians, we don't follow the crowds. We follow Christ. We don't follow the trends. We follow the truth. Hey, we don't follow society. We follow our Savior. And we don't follow men. We follow the Master. Because in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many be there which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Hey, we're not interested in going down that wide road of destruction. We want to find the road to truth, the, ro the road to life. The road that leads to God. Hey, that is the road that we want to be on. And we see the direction of our country. We see the trends. We see the momentum. We see where this is going. We see persecution on the rise. We see difficulties coming. We see opposition that is going. This year is enlarging our tent. When culture is going one way, we have a calling to go the other way, to go towards God, to enlarge our tent, to expand. Hey, when things start getting a little bit more difficult, the tendency is to say, you know what? Maybe we should scale back a little bit. Maybe we should just take a little bit of time. Maybe we should take a little bit of a break. But God wants us to enlarge our tent. Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hey, we might be headed towards a Noah type, type of a culture, but God has said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the God that lives with inside of you than the power that exists in the world. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things 
through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Hey, it doesn't matter the way that culture is going. God says you can do all things through Christ. We can grow and we can take steps forward and we can make an impact and we can make a difference. And not just on a big national scale, but this tells me that there is hope for every single individual believer, no matter the home situation, no matter your work situation, no matter the place that you live, no matter the people around you. There is hope for a teenager or a child who has some parents that maybe aren't saved and they're living ungodly and they're promoting wickedness. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hey, there is hope for you. There's a chance for you. The power within you through the power of Christ is able to overcome. There is hope for a lone Christian that's maybe going to a, a secular university and, and they're preaching and promoting and, and uh, teaching all of these things that are wicked and ungodly and, and the culture is a wicked. There's hope for a lone Christian on a wicked campus that's teaching devilish ideology that you can stand firm in your faith and come out on the other side even stronger than you came in. There is hope for a worker that maybe you go to work and you're surrounded by ungodly people. There is hope for a family that looks outside of the, of the, of the windows of their home and, and sees wickedness or rampant. There is hope for the young man or woman whose who's friends from high school or college are living ungodly. There is hope for you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I want to see some results of Noah living by faith, enlarging his tent. Number one, I want to see an influential conversation, an influential life. If you're there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7, the verse says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not as yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark. What are the next words? to the saving of his house. We know that Noah, he was a just man. He was a perfect man. He was a complete man. Not sinless, but he was a complete man. And he walked with God. He had a great testimony. And it says in Genesis that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. But Noah wasn't the only person saved on the ark, was he? Noah was the man that was described as just. He's the man that was described as being perfect. He was the man that was described as walking with God. But he was not the only one to be saved on the ark, was he? There were seven other individuals that got into the ark and were saved from the flood. His wife, his three sons... And his three daughters-in-law, eight of them, were saved. Noah, in enlarging his tent and living by faith, made a great impact in their lives. Amen? I mean, having your life to be saved, that's a great impact. And that's the impact, the influence that Noah had, that he led his family into the ark as well. Noah's faith made a difference in his family. 
Noah's faith made a difference in the lives of those around him. And when we enlarge our, faith, uh, enlarge our tent, living by faith, we have an influence on those that live around us. We have an influence on those that live in our home. We have an influence on those that we work with. We have an influence on those with whom we go to church together with. And there's many instances in the Bible of people who had great influence and made a great difference in the lives of the people around them. In 2 Kings chapter number 5, there's the story of Naaman. He was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. The Bible describes him as a great man. He was a valiant man. He was honorable. He was a conqueror. He was strong, but he was also a leper. He had an incurable disease. And he had gone to Israel and, and conquered the nation of Israel and brought away some captives. And one of those captives became the maid to, in his home on, uh, with his, for his wife. And here is a, here's a girl who is taken away captive. She's away from her home. She's away from her family. She's a captive serving a foreigner, a stranger, and she says unto the mistress, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She just said, oh, if, if, if Naaman could just get into Israel, he could be healed. And so this was told to Naaman, and Naaman says, all right, I'm going to go. And, and he found his way to Israel, eventually making his way to the prophet Elisha. And, and there's some conversation, some, some, uh, a little bit of, uh, you, this is what you need to do. And Naaman didn't really seem to agree with that. And a servant who was a little bit wiser than he was said, why don't you just go? Why don't you just do it? And he did it, and he was healed. And his life was forever changed because a little girl just said, there's a prophet there, the prophet of God, who can do something. We see that Daniel, he made a difference. We see that Esther made a difference. We see that Apostle Andrew. How did Simon Peter, we all know about Simon Peter. How did Simon Peter get to Jesus? Guess what? His brother brought him. His brother said, we have found the Messiah. Come, you got to see Jesus. Andrew made a great difference in the life of his brother. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we enlarge our tent by faith, we make a difference in the lives of those around us. Hey, husbands, when you live by faith and you enlarge your tent, hey, you make a difference in the lives of those in your home. When you decide that you're going to follow the calling of God as the father and as the husband and as the leader of your home, and, and you decide that we're going to, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You're going to make a difference in the lives of your family members. Hey, your wife is going to be benefited because of that. Your children will benefit because of that. Hey, wives, if you decide that I'm just going to obey God and live by faith and trust that God will produce the result, Hey, you're going to make a difference. Children, hey, if you, if you decide, I'm going to enlarge my tent. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to trust his word. You're going to make a difference in the lives of those around you. Hey, when you go to work, you're going to make a difference. When you see some lost individuals, you're going to make a difference. And, and the first thing that I see about Noah was that when he enlarged his tent, he made a difference in the lives of those around him. Jude chapter 22, verse 
uh, Jude, not 20, chapter 22, verse 22. There's only one chapter. And of, of some having, having compassion, making a difference. And others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I see that Noah, in enlarging his tent by faith, made a difference in the lives of those around him. He sure made a great difference in the life of his wife. He sure made a great difference in the life of his three sons. He sure made a great difference in the life of his three daughters-in-law. Boy, he made a great difference. But also I see that Noah, in living by faith and enlarging his tent, there was an instructive condemnation. An instructive condemnation. Verse number 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. By the which, by the ark, he condemned the world. It was clear that the people in the days of Noah did not love God, they did not fear God. They did not obey God. Every imagination was wicked. I mean, they were just doing whatever it was that they wanted to do. And enlarging our tent means living differently. And it is that difference that makes the difference. It says that by the which he condemned the world. I don't know about you, but uh, when I was in school, and you're given an assignment, maybe you're given a, a, a problem to solve, or just anything really, and you're sitting there with your classmates, and the teacher up there is giving some instruction, and, and you begin to just work on this project, right? You're, you're solving the problem or whatever. There's a temptation to look over at what your neighbor is doing, right? You, you might solve the problem and, and come to some conclusion, or you might, and then you look over. You ever look over there and see that your neighbor's doing something completely different from you? What is your first thought? My first thought was always, am I doing this right? Right? You ever think that? Maybe, wait, did I misunderstand what my teacher told me to do? You know, maybe you're supposed to draw something, there's, you know, an art class or whatever, and you're drawing something, and you look over, and there's something totally different, and then, and then you begin to question yourself. Maybe, maybe what I'm doing is, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I didn't understand right. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. You know, if you look around and everybody else is doing the same thing that you're doing, what, it builds a little confidence in you. Maybe I think I'm doing it right. But when somebody's doing it differently, it, it creates a question Wait, am I doing it right? Or is he doing it right? And sometimes the temptation is for believers to just go along with things because it'll be easier. But when we live by faith and we show that there is a difference, by it, we condemn the world, meaning this. We show them you're on the wrong path. You're going the wrong direction. This is the direction you're supposed to go in. Maybe you're, you're traveling down the road with a bunch of friends and you're in different cars and you're, you know, I'm following the GPS and, and then your friend veers off in another direction. You begin to think, 
wait, am I going to the right place? Am I, am I going down the right road? And, and Noah, in building the ark, he was able to condemn the world and show them what you're doing is not right. James chapter 1, verse number 14 says, By every, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Hey, the road that everybody was going on was headed towards death. And Noah, in building the ark, said, you're going in the wrong direction. Let's go in the right direction. You're doing the wrong thing. I see that the structure was different. He was building something totally different from everybody else. Right? Noah was building a big ark. He was building a big boat. Nobody else was building a boat. Nobody else, right? Anybody else in the ark building competition there? Nope. Noah's going to win first. He's the only one competing. Noah's the only one doing it. Everybody else is thinking about building a home, about maybe traveling and doing all of these different things, but Noah is building an ark. He's doing something totally different. You know why? There's a flood that's coming. When a flood is coming, you don't think about building a bigger house. You think about, maybe I should build a boat. If a flood is coming, you've got to build a boat. Amen? And if everybody else is building a house and there's a flood coming, guess what? It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. You should build a boat too. And by building a boat, he was telling them, you're doing the wrong thing. Destruction is coming. Rain is coming. God is going to judge. And by building the boat, he was showing them hey, there's a different path, and you're on the wrong one. His structure was different. His life was different because destruction was coming. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What is he talking about? He's talking about this world. This world is going to be gone one day. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Hey, if you know that a flood is coming and everything's going to be gone, how would that change your life? And today we know that Jesus is coming again. And we have a home in heaven. If you know that all of these things will be dissolved, what kind of person should you be? How should you live? Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Hey, if everything is going to be gone, how would that change your life? And it tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19, lay up for yourselves, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. But where should we lay our treasures? In heaven. The believer who knows, hey, all of this is going to go away, will lay his treasures in heaven, living for the heavenly. His structure was different. His life was different. His speech was also different. The Bible says that, that God, he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. He had a different speech. Because if you're going to build a big boat that's like 600 feet long, or I'm not sure exactly how long it was, but, you know, it's, it's a huge boat. Somebody's going to ask you, 
hey, Noah, what are, you, uh, what are you building there in your backyard? Somebody's going to ask, right? Somebody's going to bring it up. I mean, you can't build a boat that big and not have anybody notice. People are going to notice. Hey, Noah, you're doing something different over there. What are you doing? And Noah said, I'm glad that you asked. God warned me destruction is coming. A flood is coming. And he told me to build a boat. Destruction is coming. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. And he was a preacher of righteousness for this whole time that he was building this ark. He had a different speech. He had a different language. The words that he used was different. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. The Christian, by his speech, we know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The difference of speech shows them, hey, there's a difference here. Thirdly, I see that his submission was different. Verse number 14 of Genesis chapter 6. God gives some very specific instructions to Noah. He says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. Even with just that information, you got an idea of what the ark would look like, right? Maybe not exactly right, but you know inside how many stories are there. There's three stories inside. You know that there's a window. You know that there are rooms inside. You know that it's made of gopher wood. You know that it's got this pitch that's supposed to water seal everything on the inside and on the outside. It's very clear, even from passages like this, that God is interested in the details. That God is interested in the specifics. And a believer should take the word of God and look at the specifics of the word of God. The submission of a believer is different. They want to find out all of the details of the word of God. And find out what does God say? How does he want me to live as a husband or a wife, as a parent, as a worker, as a child? We see that this art, enlarging his tent by faith, he condemned the world. He showed them you're on the wrong road. That's why, believer, you need to live differently. You need to live holy to show a difference between you and the world. Thirdly, I see that there was an invaluable compensation because living for God rewards better than any other living. We know that he received a good report. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 2 says, For by it the elders obtained a good report. This verse here is talking about all of the men and women that are in Hebrews chapter number 11. All of the individuals that come 
here, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, they all received a good report that they had a good testimony, a praiseworthy life. They received a good report. From who? From whom did they receive a good report? From God. They received a good report from God. That they wanted to please the Lord. John chapter 12, verse number 43, shows us why the Pharisees, or one of the reasons why the Pharisees struggled so much, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Hey, that's where enlarging our tent comes in. That we want the praise of God more than the praise of men. That we want to please the Lord. Because we know in Romans chapter 14, verse number 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. Verse number 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to who? To who? To God. At the end of our life, who are we all going to stand before? Before God. That's why we enlarge our tent. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, his Lord said unto him, well done. You know, that's why we live for the Lord. So that at the end of our lives, we can stand before God and God could say to us, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We also see that he received a great reward. Verse number six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Noah was greatly rewarded for his obedience in building the ark, wasn't he? He was rewarded with life. He was rewarded with his family. He was rewarded with the future. He was greatly rewarded for living a life of faith. You know what? That's where the Christian life begins. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth or puts his, faith, puts his faith in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God rewards every believer, those that put their trust in him with eternal life. But it doesn't end there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we shall never stop serving God. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Lastly, we see that he received a grace-filled righteousness. That he became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. If you knew what was going to happen in the future, how would that change your life? How would that change how you live today? If you knew what was going to happen to the stock market, how would that change the way that you live today? If you knew what was going to happen with the housing market here, how would that change how you live today? If you knew the future, 
how would that change your life today? Noah was given a warning by God of what was coming in the future. And it changed the way he lived, didn't it? I mean, he dropped everything and just put all of his focus and emphasis on building the boat. Because destruction was coming. And the same warning that was given to Noah is given to us. Those that are lost, if you're not saved here today, destruction is coming. Will you put your faith and trust in him? Will you believe in him and have everlasting life? Hey, believers, we know that the world is going to go away. We're going to leave it all behind. We're going to stand before God. We're going to give account of ourselves. How would that change the way that you live? Hey, no matter what anybody else around you is doing, hey, let's enlarge our tent.